Greetings everybody. Today we're going to talk about a very famous passage in the Bible, and that is in Galatians 2 verse 20. I think the most famous passage in the Bible is John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And then the second most famous would be the one where Paul says, It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, it's a very powerful truth and we're going to look at that truth today today's message is not going to be such a long message it's going to be a short uh, yet powerful message where we're just getting into the basics of christ's rule in our life during the communion message which was just prior to this we spoke about uh, jesus christ that was given unto us where god came and gave his son unto us wherein the scripture in uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6 and 7 distinguishes between a child and a son and what he said is that God has come to give us his son what that means is that he has come to give us a ruler he's come to give us a king who is righteous and who is just when we look at politics in the world it's all a fight for having a righteous and a just king who would care for the people, who would see their poverty, who would see their true sickness, their true disease, and have an accurate assessment of what is wrong in the world and then bring forth a solution. Now, God has come and provided that leader. He's come and provided that king. That king is the man, Jesus Christ, who knows the true problem with humanity. And the true problem with humanity is that man is dying, that man needs to have death conquered. And he also knows that the true problem with humanity was that man was trying to live by his own wisdom, therefore providing himself then as the wisdom of God unto man, so that we don't have to live by our own wisdom, which is living by our own works, whereby we then can have eternal life. Now, we're going to start off by uh, just defining what fruit is and what justification is, and then we're just going to preach verse by verse uh, from Galatians 2 verse 15, to verse 20 which ends with Paul saying I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me uh, which is what we all talk about is, is, and what we all want to see what he concludes in verse 20 is that this resurrected king Jesus is living in him now I want to start off by defining fruit and you will see that I've got in the notes uh, the Webster's definition of what fruit is. Now, I do find that Webster's has a little bit of a negative connotation to fruit. I believe that uh, it could have used some positive um, examples as well, but it doesn't matter. It's going to just drive the point home. It starts off by saying that fruit is... Uh, the produce of animals, offspring, young, as the fruit of the womb or the loins or of the body. So it, it talks about fruit as we would know it in physical fruit, produce um, of plants or people or animals. 
uh, it talks about a duplication or what a people can bring forth or produce naturally. Uh, then uh, the second point there, it talks about, and this is what I want to get into, it talks about an effect or a consequence. They shall eat the fruit of their doings. So we find here that fruit is also described as an effect or a consequence. Point three, an advantage, a profit good derived. So this is now in the positive. It says, what fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? This is where I say I think Wetters could have used the positive example there. It is something that is to your advantage. It is an effect in in the direction of the positive. So fruit can be towards the negative or towards the positive. It can be a fruit that derives of a source that is good or negative fruit that derives from a source that is bad. Uh, it talks about production, effect or consequence in an ill sense as the fruit of sin, the fruits of intemperance. So the main thing that I want to say here and what I want to take from this definition that Webster's provides, is that fruit is an effect or a consequence. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which we're going to get into next week uh, into more detail, looking at Galatians, we are talking about the effect that the Spirit of God will have upon a person's life. When we talk about Christ in us, we're going to talk about the effect that the rulership of the man, Jesus, has on an individual's life. When we look at politics, and we, I mean, I always use South African politics because, or most of the time, because this is where I live and what I know well. When we look at the new South Africa that came into being in 1994, we find that this new rulership or this new constitution that we have, had an effect on us. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you act. Uh, it, 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 is, it causes things to take place inside you. It's causative. It is a root or a foundation from where a life is now born. It is also the, uh, it, it can be seen as, repentance that was granted unto man we could now as new south africans have a new way of thinking where we were stuck in a rut where we were thinking in a certain way now with a new constitution repentance is offered to us we can now think differently and that's what the word repent means by the way it means to have a change of mind or a change of thinking so when we talk about the fruit of god in our lives or the fruit of the rulership of God in our lives, we are talking about the effect that God will have on humanity. We can conclude by this definition that fruit is not something that you are commanded to bear. The Bible does say that God wants us to bear much fruit. Therefore, he says in John 15, that we cannot do anything of ourselves But if we abide in him, then we will bear much fruit. The bearing of fruit that we will bring forth will not be on our account, but would be on account of us being uh, planted into the root, which, which is then the source of the fruit we're bearing. So what he's basically saying to us, and 
We can go and read that in, uh, in John as well and Luke and everywhere. What he's saying is, is that we, uh, that God will basically bring forth the fruit inside us. He says that should we be planted into Christ, God will have an effect on us. He will produce who he is inside us. He will have, uh, being planted into Christ will have an effect in our lives. Now, I've heard it uh, preached many times that if you are a Christian, you better behave as if being planted into Christ doesn't have an automatic effect. Peter goes so far as to say that should a person be a believer in Jesus and the belief that he has has no fruit, it can only be ascribed to him forgetting what has happened on the cross and who he really is. Peter comes to the conclusion, when you read Second Peter, that uh, the, the belief in Christ and understanding what it is all about automatically brings forth fruit. Because he says, those who does not bear this fruit has forgotten that they were saved. It's got something to do with memory and belief. So when we believe and we are reminded and we know that we are his, our sins are forgiven, we find an automatic effect in our lives. That's why we don't need 10 lessons in fruit bearing or what is the good and right thing to do. I want to give you an example of that. If you go to my Facebook page, you will see that I uh, did a post, uh, I think it was on Thursday, wherein I spoke about restitution. And uh, this is in the light of our political situation in South Africa and forgiveness and all of that. And this came from a radio program that I listened to and then contacted the, the, the people that were part of the discussion and so forth. And when we look at that, how restitution works, you will see in that little video that I've put up there, uh, I've edited it from YouTube and so forth, you will see that restitution is a fruit or uh, forgiveness is something that takes place on account of a revelation of value. It's something that happens when Christ enters your heart. I spoke to this uh, this person, and the context of this is that there was in 1996 acts of terrorism wherein people went and planted bombs in Worcester, not far from where we live, about a, a hundred kilometers, and 67 people got injured, four people died. And one of the people that planted these bombs, you know, has now been released from jail, and there's a beautiful story of restitution uh, as pertained to, to him and the people that he harmed. But I called him uh, on Thursday, on Wednesday, I think Wednesday or Thursday, I called him and spoke to him and asked him, what role did God play in your life? Because the video that you watch uh, about the restitution process doesn't have a lot about God in it. And he said to me, you're the first person that, or you, you are the person that is asking the question that people are scared to ask. Because people are scared to hear that this restitution wasn't something that is born from man deciding to go and fix things. And he said that there is no step, 10 steps to be a better Christian. You need Jesus in your life. And he said that when he received Jesus, 
racism was, uh, uh, he was delivered from that and he, he loved all people the same. And that the root of this beautiful uh, story of restitution is found in Jesus Christ, wherein political problems were solved by God not by man deciding to run a program of restitution or man deciding that we all must do one thing because that's going to work, but wherein God is the author of it, wherein he brings forth justice uh, and judgment in the world, which is to set people free from bitterness, hatred, uh, uh, resentment, and whatsoever goes with the system of darkness. So the point that I'm trying to make is that even politically, in every area of your life, the only true solution is Christ having an effect on your life. It is not for man to behold the wisdom of God and then think that he can copy that wisdom, be a God in himself, making use of God to rule. Now let me explain that. When you look at the Tower of Babel, you will find that Nimrod built this massive tower and we always assume that that was to get into the heavens to rule as God. Now there's some kind of a truth to that, but I don't think that is the, what, what the Bible's trying to say. What they did back then was they would build a massive tower and next to the tower they would build a temple. And then that tower would be an invitation to the God of the heavens to come down and live amongst them. And if you go and read what happened there, you will see that they they did this so that they could have a great name, basically making themselves God. They were saying, we will decide that we're going to make use of a mighty God to come and bless us so that we can, in that way, have a great name making themselves the one who decides, making themselves the ones who, who builds their own name, just also making use of God as a tool, where God doesn't work that way. The way it works is, He is the Almighty God, and all that we do is, we submit to His love and His kindness and His goodness by saying, there's only one way where we can share in God's life, and that is the easy way. The easy way would be, God bringing forth his life for free in us. So when we look at Webster's definition of fruit, I want to conclude this. Fruit is the effect, or let me put it this way, the fruit that God wants you to bear is the effect that God would have on your life as we simply trust him. So what I want you to jot down, if you're taking notes, And put in your memory is this. In the first part of this message, this is what I want you to know. Fruit is the result of God's goodness towards you. Or it is the effect that the good God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would have on your life through the rulership of Jesus in your life. That is fruit bearing. Fruit is not something that you can bear by yourself. Fruit in a person means a result of something you believe in or of someone else. We are fruit bearers. We either bear God's fruit or we bear the fruit of our own willpower or the fruit of the devil. We 
are fruit bearers. That is what we are. We are like trees and we are planted and the soil we are planted in or the root that we are planted in will bear its fruit in us. That is how it works. The branch of itself can bear no fruit. You of yourself can bear no fruit. No fruit unto life whatsoever. So what you take home in this first part and the first definition is you cannot bear fruit by yourself. Fruit is, or God's fruit is, the effect that God has on your life. Next definition we're looking at there is the definition for justification. Justification according to Thayer's definition, and we've mentioned this many times in our messages, but let's go through it again, means to render righteous or as he ought to be, to show or exhibit evidence of one's righteousness, such as he wishes himself to be considered, to declare or to pronounce one to be just or righteous, or such as he ought to be. I like point two there a lot, and I do believe that that is the definition that we should use mostly in the Bible, uh, in our reading of the New Testament. It talks about God exhibiting or bringing forth evidence that we are righteous in trusting and believing him. So when we talk about justification, we are talking about the uh, the almighty God saying that should you believe me, you are righteous. The righteous thing to do or the right thing to do is to trust God. And when you trust and believe God that he can do what he has said, and I'm not defining this now in the parameters of having um, all the worldly success and all those kind of things. I'm defining this in what he has said from the beginning, that he would give us eternal life. When we trust him, God says, you're doing the right thing. Uh, when you're trying to produce eternal life or have a whole consciousness based in self-preservation, you are not doing the right thing. You are wrong. That is wrong. Now, God says, trust me. And that is right. You are righteous in trusting me. You are qualified for eternal life in trusting me. What qualifies you is you standing out of the way and trusting me to give it to you for free. That is what he is saying. Now, to, to justify means to, ex, to, to exhibit or to bring forth evidence that the one that has been trusting in God was right in doing that. And the only way that can be is in God manifesting his promise inside you. To make that simple, if I tell my son, listen, trust me, uh, I will pick you up at 10. And should he trust me, and he rests in the fact that I can keep my word, he is correct in doing that. And I will show that he was correct by picking him up at 10. And when I pick him up at 10, uh, it would be the justification or the rendering or the evidence that he did not believe a lie. So when God comes and he brings, just, brings forth justification, it is on account of, or it should be understood as, God manifesting what he has promised in your life. Justification is not 
uh, and should not be read just as a legal term wherein we are justified in our actions, wherein it's basically God saying, we're not guilty anymore, we are now innocent. Now, we should see justification as God actually bringing forth his fruit in us. Do you know it is just that you have love in your life should you believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that it would be unjust for you to have bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness in your life? So when God, when you trust God and you believe that he has overcome your sin and death and that Jesus is Lord, it is just and the justice of God to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When you are not relying upon the human ability to obey the law, but you are relying upon the Holy Spirit that brings forth life, it's nothing, uh, it is, or let me put this way, it is absolutely just for you to have love, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, and all those kind of things in your life. The way I pray and, and in my relationship with God, the way I deal with things in my life that I believe should not be there is like this. Let's say I find hatred in my heart. I go to God and I say, God, I need justification. I need justifi- the justification of life. I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I am here for the justification of the Spirit, wherein you bring forth the release from hatred in my life. So many times we think that justification works the other way around, wherein we have to repent of uh, hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness so that God can justify us and that he can have a just reason to take us into heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. When we go to God and we find that we've got bitterness and hatred in our lives, God looks at Jesus and his rule and he sees that how we are in him and then he has enough reason and it would be just for him to release us from what is binding us. Now you might say, Bertie, why the process? Why, if we just believe in Jesus, we don't find it manifesting automatically. I do believe it manifests automatically, but I have also found that in the areas where I don't see fruit in my life, that I need an adjustment of my belief in that area or a remembrance of who I am in Christ. So when I go to the throne room of grace to find help in the time of need, what do I find at the throne room of grace? I find mercy and grace and help in the time of need in the Holy Spirit reminding me of what I have freely received in Jesus. And as I am reminded of this truth, I find him manifesting his life in me. Glory to God. Okay, now let's get into... um, I'm just going to read two passages there, Romans 5:18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came, in, came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came unto all men, unto the justification of life. Can you see here the free gift of, of God in Christ came unto all men, which is unto the justification of which would be by the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. I don't want to spend a lot of time in that verse. Let's also go quickly to Galatians three eleven and 12. It says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall have life by faith. 
and the law is not of faith, but the man that lives by the law will have to, or the man, man that does the law will have to find life by the law. What he's saying here is that the way wherein God justifies us is not in a legal standing, but he's justifying us in him bringing forth his fruit in us. So when the Bible says that God will, through Jesus Christ, manifest his kingdom through justice and judgment, it means that God will manifest his kingdom in this world in giving his people the fruit of the Spirit and in giving his people life above death, removing death, bringing forth a life that is greater than the clutches of death, taking away the keys unto death, wherein the key unto life is now given unto us in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me put it this way. When the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he is talking about God justifying his people. He's talking about Christ ruling in humanity. When I look at our country and, you know, many times we look at things and we find fear want to grip a hold of our hearts. And I found that is true in every country. I have not visited a country in the world um, wherein I don't find people live in fear about the politics. Every country. I've been to the Scandinavian countries. I've been to what is called some of the most civilized countries in the world. I've been to... Uh, to, to many countries in Europe, to the Americas, Canada, through Africa, every country, I find people live in fear. People feel uh, the, the, our government is corrupt, it's not going to work, it's not going to work out, things are not going to go right. Now, as you are in your country and you are looking at those things and you say, this is uh, not just that very voice inside you that says this is not just and justice should be served is the very voice of God saying to you that that system that you are beholding cannot do it. But what I want you to know is that in that voice there is a hope for the scripture says, and, and I'm going to read that. I did this during the communion, but I know that the communion service is not aired on television. So, so let me go there quickly. Um, Isaiah 9, and we're reading from verse 6. It says here, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now listen to this. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So it says, of the increase. So we find this increasing. In the world. Amen. It says there shall be no end. So you might look at your government and you might think of what's going on here. If you look globally, the peace of God is on the increase. We might say it is not like that. Well, you just go and study the time of Jesus. Just go back and study the time of, of Abraham. And go and study the Middle Ages and what was going on in the world, all over the world. And the fear people lived in. Every little village had his army because you couldn't even live in the bush uh, somewhere in peace. There was no place of peace. You had to have your army. 
I don't find that my family uh, does uh, needs an army. Maybe there are some countries where it's needed, but I don't need it. I think it is, it is going much better now, and we are seeing the increase of the peace that there is in the world because of this government of Jesus Christ. And we can behold a lot of wrong that takes place in the world. We can behold a lot of things that's not right. But as we see this injustice, what are we doing then when we see this injustice? What should we do as Christians? We are saying that he will justify me without the works of the law. He will bring the justification of life. And even if some of us loses our lives in this world through this injustice that there is, we will find that God justifies us in the resurrection. At the end of the day, we're going to see that the increase of his kingdom and his government, there is no end. There is no end. It doesn't matter how Islam spreads. The truth of the matter is, Islam is becoming smaller. It doesn't matter how, how it looks as if atheism is on the rise. I want to tell you it's becoming smaller. The truth is that Christianity, and I don't even want to call it Christianity, it is Christianity, but the rule of God through Jesus Christ is on the increase in the world. Jesus is winning people's hearts. That is what is taking place, and that is what the Scripture teaches. So I want to say, when I live in a country and I see things not going well, know what I, what, what I do? I rest my heart. And when I feel fear wants to come to me, I go to the throne room of grace, wherein the Spirit of God reminds me again of the rule of Christ. Because fear is the fruit of of not beholding the truth. Then as I behold the truth and I'm mindful that Christ is my life, I just feel and I can see how God justifies me with peace in the midst of a broken world. Glory to God, which he is busy fixing. (laughs) Glory to God. We should not think that God cannot fix the world. He can. Okay, I want to go to Galatians 2.15. It says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, this is the end of page 1 there, bottom page 1, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now what does that mean? I want to stand still at uh, the Part there in verse 16 where it says that we are not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. I remember there was a time when I looked at that where I said, Jesus is believing on my behalf. And that is a lie. It is not the truth. Now, there is to a certain degree some truth, an element of truth in that, that Jesus does have a faith and through that persuasion that he has is bringing forth a result in our lives. But that word faith there should rather be translated as faithfulness. It says knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. What Paul is saying there, knowing that no person can have life by his own works. He says, but only by the faithfulness of Jesus 
Even we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faithfulness of Christ in Christ bringing forth life in us. So we, we will have the, the rightness of trusting in Jesus exhibited or put on display or evidence of the fact that trusting God is the right thing, we will have that evidence by Jesus being faithful in that he died and believed the Father, was raised from the dead, and in his faithfulness in bringing forth what God wants him to bring forth in your life, we will have that by his faithfulness. So I want to say to you, the only faithfulness that there is from our side is to say, We're not going to be faithful to our good works or to the law. We're going to be faithful in trusting that it is easy and for free by him. That is what I believe Paul is saying there. Let me read it again. But knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might have our life or the life is promised, manifested in us by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I want to just, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, well, yesterday as well, a lot about, uh, about how this works. You know that no human being can basically, uh, no living human today can live without making use of death. Now, you might say, what are you meaning? This sounds very philosophical. Even if you are a vegetarian, you have to kill a plant to to live. If you eat meat, you have to kill something to live. There's always a counterbalance. You cannot produce life by yourself that will be eternal it is impossible we cannot do it the only way wherein we can have life without making use of death is wherein god has come and conquered death in giving jesus entered into death conquered death and now provides us with a life that has got no beginning and no end which is eternal in itself so for us to have eternal life or the fruit of life, the only way we can have it is by having a source where, there, where this life is perpetual and it has got no beginning, it's got no end. And that is what God has provided inside a human body, inside Jesus Christ. So that we today can say, I believe in Him for life, for I find that in this body and in this natural world, we've got a system where things need to be produced, even, let's say, animals, chickens, whatever. They need to be produced, they need to then die, and then we, uh, we feed ourselves to remain alive. We find that in this world system, it is impossible for us to attain unto eternal life, because something's going to die, in order for us to live, and then in that process, we're actually making use of death to live. You cannot. We are human beings, and in ourselves, we are dying. 
and you cannot produce life from death. No, you might say, but God produced life from death in the death of Jesus Christ. No, it didn't work that way. God entered death and conquered death on account of the eternal life that is in him. His eternal life conquered death in humanity. And we who trust and rely upon him, we find that he justifies us with his life. Now, um, you know, I think if we, if we, we're going to skip some of the verses and we're just going to go down to verse 20 um, because the other verse talks about the law and so forth. And I think we've got a good understanding of that. But what Paul is basically saying in verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. What he's actually saying is the system wherein I find life by the flesh has died in Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So what he's saying is I was crucified with Jesus. What that means is in Jesus this Judaism and separation between Jew and Gentile and also the system wherein the flesh has got life unto death was crucified in Christ. That means that when Jesus died, the, the system wherein I'm justified by my works died there. I, Paul, as a Jew, have died in Christ. But here I find that I... Paul, I am having a life, but the life that I have now is not I who live. It is not Paul or Saul the Jew obeying commands whereby he has conquered sin in his life. He's actually saying what's happening now is since I believed in Jesus, I died with him. He was raised from the dead. Therefore, the new life that I am raised up into, that I am living, is on account of Christ as the ruler over what was destroying me. It is actually the proof that Christ has condemned sin in the flesh, and therefore you are now seeing life in my flesh, life manifesting in my flesh. That is Christ in Paul. So I want to end off by saying this. When we say, it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, we are basically saying, it is the, the life that I now live is the effect that the bodily resurrection of Jesus has on my life as I rely upon this to conquer the death in my flesh and the sin in my flesh, leaving you at a place where you have now entered and you are starting to enter the very rest of God. The rest of God is basically the rulership where God is standing in in Christ. Rest should be seen as a king that has conquered a certain kingdom and now since he's conquered that kingdom and defeated the enemies, he's now resting from war and is now actively busy in establishing his way of doing or his order in that new country. So we, have now, we are now at a place where we're seeing the rest of God. God has rested from the war in conquering death and now those who have believed upon him, he is now implementing through the Holy Spirit his order in those people's lives, which is the order of life and not the order of death. Amen. I trust this message has, um, has brought to you how simple it is 
to have fruit in your life. I am summarizing it quickly this way. Fruit bearing is the result of God justifying you with his life as you simply trust him. It is not something you do to find a place in heaven. Amen. I want to thank you so much for listening, and I would like to pray for you. Father, I thank you that I can stretch forth my hands to everybody that's watching this webcast. I thank you that you love them, that you care for them. I thank you for the justification, which is by the Holy Spirit, the justification of life, where we are justified and set free from death in the flesh, when we can experience the fruit of the Spirit as a free gift, having the voice of God in our hearts, where your voice is written in our hearts, where your very nature is written in our hearts, where we, from the depth of our being, can live you, knowing what to do, how to live in this world, just from the very depths of you written in our hearts. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching, and then I will see you again next week. God bless.